0: You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Hartpreet Sood, a doctor and global digital health advisor. Harpreet is a non-executive director at Health Education England and founding board member at digitalhealth.london. In the episode, we discuss what defines success for digital health companies and the role outcome evaluations, inclusion and policy has in shaping the sector. We specifically cover how trust in technologies and companies is fundamental and is being driven by a rising consumer approach to healthcare. All views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves. Enjoy! What have you seen in the digital health space? What's happening?
1: Tell us. That's a, a, a massive question, Violet, and I don't know if I could summarize that in a few minutes. But, but you know, I think two things really have changed for me, uh, which we were finding when I say we, the health system and the NHS, were finding quite hard to do at the time. One was um, the increasing acceptance of the use of technology. You know, so that kind of behaviour, and mindset change, which I think. Um, it's difficult to crack because people are very you know used to the way they work they're very used to how they do things and 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 it's hard to change behaviors very much so that that's kind of the first thing is the increasing acceptance of role and the use of technology and then the second element of it is the increased perceived usefulness of of technology and again you know if we look at you know i take my general practice where, where i work and the, the amazing ability of us through this platform called Accurex, which you might have heard about, for us to text our patients and get them in and book appointments. I mean, that was game-changing, right? Mm-hmm. And that made many people realize, actually, it's not very difficult to use technology. If technology is built well, if it responds to the user, if it is built bottom-up innovation like Accurex has, it will be used because people see the usefulness. And I think that's really been game-changing for me because now we can really build on that. You know, because, you know, you can have incentives, you can have lots of policies, you can get everyone excited. But people are like, yeah, great, but I just need to get on with my day job, you know. But now it's like, actually, I can make my day job much better. And actually, I've seen the usefulness of it. And I think that, for me, is the most game-changing moment that hopefully we will build on as a system and do some really exciting things on the back of it.
0: So are we going from gimmicks within healthcare, IT, digital health, into really... Embedded useful tools now? Are we seeing that transition happen?
1: Yes and no. I still think um, yes in the fact that, yeah, you know, we've seen the usefulness of of, of various tools and and we've used them. Um, And no in the fact that um, there's still a lack of clarity in in a few elements of things. And let me expand on that. One is, you know, if we look at remote monitoring, um, if we look at virtual teleconsultations, uh, i.e., videos. in particular because that's where there's been a lot of uh talk about if we look at for example some of the current disease management platforms that people are using yes it's all well and good but we don't really actually know today do they actually really work right and i think that for me is the underlying issue with all of this is that you know i'm not calling it a gimmick by any means because i do think we need to have innovation and we need to invest in this and we need to give it a go But we also need to be truthful and honest to ourselves in really understanding is this actually working and and if we take the pulse exometry example you know we've seen that i've seen that we've given it to a lot of patients but patients are very finding it difficult to interact with it there's obviously variation with it with different skin colors that we've it's been Mm -hmm. picked up and so that all plays into the whole evidence base right is to say well in fact if we do have a policy or, or or, or blanket policy in this case, yes, we know it's, it's, it's where the trends are going, but ultimately we need to make sure it's also working and it's, and it's proving to uh, generate better outcomes. The second element to it, which I think makes me on the no side of things, is that as we move forward in terms of looking at sustainability and how we kind of keep this going, there's no clear path to reimbursement and how we fund this at this point. Um, you know, Germany's done a really good job in, in setting out its digital health kind of act with its reimbursement framework. But we are still quite far behind on that front as, as a UK and, and the NHS. And I think that will play out because, again, if, if I was you know running a health tech startup and I wasn't sure where the next pot of money was coming from or where there was no clear line of sight, it'd be very difficult for me to do business. And I think that poses a threat because that means then less money going to R and D, less money going to innovation because people are looking at other markets to sell uh, and adopt their technology. And I think those two things will play out quite considerably on the no side of things. But yes, uh, on the side of things, it's an exciting space for us to experiment and innovate and, and see what comes out of it.
0: So, off off the back of that, because I love I love what you're saying there about the no clear path to reimbursement. Do we find then in in your in your experience that there's a an un, unbalanced tipping basically of more innovation coming in and more schemes that we've got, especially in the UK with the NHS clinical entrepreneur program. We've got all of our digital health accelerators. I know you've been a part of different boards as well. If we got more of those happening, lots of innovation coming in, but what are we seeing on the other side of it? Are they actually becoming successful businesses?
1: Well, it depends what you define by success, Marlis. You know, if, if you're going to go out and do a SPAC IPO deal, uh, that, that might be success for certain people, but it may not be success for your patient because ultimately it's not changed or done anything different. So you know, for me, remaining true to my kind of clinical training, it, it, the success is uh, it's safe, it's effective, it's high quality and it's you know, producing superior outcomes. Uh, and I think that is far and few between at this point. You know, I, I believe there are some good solutions out there. But I still believe that there's probably many more that are still on that journey and I think we have to be honest with ourselves on that front because you know if we rush into these things it certainly destabilizes the health ecosystem and the thing about the NHS is that you know a good friend and mentor once said this to me he said you know NHS is like a balloon and it's a spherical balloon and if you squeeze one side of it the other side bulges out and so your job as a health leader and policymaker is to maintain the fidelity and sphericalness of that balloon, which is really interesting because if we look at um, you know, all the different channels we have now where you can access healthcare, right, so whether it's through uh, online providers, telemedicine, 111, a and GP, hospital, urgent care centres, you know, this one individual can get care from like eight or nine different areas without actually having any impact on, on their health outcomes because all they're doing is going and getting seen and, and necessary just getting the medicines that they want. And so the challenge we have is how do we bring this all together? How do we bring it together in a concerted way that allows us to maintain the fidelity of that balloon analogy, but at the same time ensuring that we are improving outcomes, uh, improving mobility, improving life expectancy, because all these are all important things of what makes a good health system. And, and we have the substrate, right? We have the substrates in, in, in the NHS. We have the ingredients where we can really make it work. But it will mean consolidation. It will mean convergence of some of the programs you talked about. And the reason why we initially set out with all these programs was because we said, again, from a policy angle, is that let's release two dozen, three dozen speedboats. Let's see what how the market responds. Let's see what sticks. And let's see what things work. Because you have to, right? You have to give that small amount of money. And, and we've seen that, right? So if I look at the NHS Digital Academy, one of the programs that I worked on and set up, you know, we've just launched our fourth cohort of applications, right? Fantastic. So that's Yeah, well, that's an example of how there was a unique need of people wanting to learn, develop, get the skill sets, get the insights, and for us backing our staff, clinical entrepreneur program, going through their own iteration. And there's various other programs and schemes like that. And there's a test beds and, and various others. But again, some have worked, some haven't but that's okay. That's how we think about experimentation policy. But ultimately we have to look at it also from the flip side in that there is now a big appetite from investors and the market to fund digital health, right? And so on that basis, we need to leverage on that because ultimately from the NHS perspective, if you look at valuable taxpayers money, we shouldn't rush into buying or procuring things that we don't know what work at this point. And we should let the market decide that because whether it's direct to consumer, whether it's people trying out in other countries or, or, or wherever it might be, and come to the NHS when you've got a proven, highly effective, evidence-based solution that is producing superior outcomes at scale, that's when it becomes game-changing. And I think that's where the NHS can play a really big role uh, in, in a lot of this.
0: A lot to unpack there. Very interesting <laughs> points. I've written about half a page down on my notes here about this, but I think to digest it, how do you how do you as someone that sits within the policy kind of space right how do you take everything that you're learning across as a clinical provider across as um someone that works with industry and translate that into policy with all of these different variables that you touched upon and, and you said the word experimental policy and is it is it really challenging and difficult still um you know many years down the line to to understand and put into practice um digital health policy
1: yeah absolutely and i think this is where it becomes difficult right because um you know you've got to ask yourself what the role of policy and and what the role of nhs and what the role of government is right um and, and and as a whole it's to serve in, in words of common, as a common man, right, which is that how do we ensure that the common individual gets the right care at the right time, which is of you know high quality, and on that basis, there's really important that you maintain a level of stability, you maintain a level of regulation, you maintain a level of ensuring that it meets the expectations of as many people as possible, and that's the principles of, of universal healthcare, right? That's the principles of what the NHS stands for in its values. And so it's a really difficult task to maintain that, but also at the same time, innovate and experiment, right. And that's why you need to develop these ecosystems that allow people to come in and play. Um, but at the same time, have some controls and saying, well, we can't just, you know, open up everything and destabilize things, we, we need to maintain a level of um, you know, that quality and safety that that has meant that the nhs has stood around for so many years you know it's 73 years that it will be celebrating this year which is quite a feat for a health system um and i think it will remain here for the next 73 years i'm sure but the question is it it will look different it will feel different but at the same time it has to maintain its its uh, its principles and, and the reason why it was set up now but on the flip side like i said we've also seen this kind of huge revolution and we're still going to be seeing an ongoing huge revolution in the role of technology, innovation, uh, not only in care delivery, but also pharma, um, you know, life sciences, biotech, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But again, the challenge arises for the NHS you know, being a tax-funded system is you know, we still have to run our day-to-day hospitals. We still have to pay our workforce, which makes up that 65% of the NHS budget. Um, we still have to run, you know, keep the lights on of, of, of the GP surgeries. So how we maintain that and, and, the, and the innovation is tricky. And, and for me, the reason why I kind of maintain a link with and uh, work in digital health and, and other places is because it gives me the look and feel and sense and help guide people at an early stage on how do we maintain to the core principles of what the NHS stands for. And obviously, this is a very U- UK centric view. You know, the market is much bigger in the US or other parts of the world. And we're starting to see really interesting solutions coming out of Asia, um, Africa and others where there are less well-resourced systems. And that makes you... Do innovation in a different way but for the uk certain things matter and i think the uk is probably one of the best in the world when it comes to regulation uh, and maintaining a high level of um, stability in what it does especially for the nhs
0: let's touch on that quickly the the international side of things yeah um, because um, we know that you've got a lot of experience within the international space and understanding the landscape a bit more there now one of the things that I know you're really passionate about is trying to understand diversity, social inclusion, healthcare inequalities issues, and and bring that into your day to day practice, which which is completely admirable, and we all take our hats off to it because it's great to have that at top, at top level leadership. Right. My my question is: Have you seen like you know, you know in our in our apps, in our tools, and the things that we have here? We touched on the pulse oximetry earlier. Is the, we do have embedded you know problems within our own Mm. digital health tools um have you noticed that perhaps if they're being built in other countries um that we're not getting the same level of uh diversity and inclusion issues that they're building for a more inclusive uh, ecosystem and patient population from the start are we is there anything we can learn from the international friends
1: yeah absolutely you know i think you know certainly you know I, i've always held the belief right that the best diabetes app for example will be built by a diabetic right or or the best kind of uh, you know blood pressure uh, blood pressure monitoring app will be built by someone who's had ongoing blood pressure issues rather than you know that's always been my hypothesis you know if i take my father as, as an example right he he's a uh how old is he now i think late 60 70, 70 probably 70 year old uh, south asian gentleman right who is um got high blood pressure and you know i was talking to him the other day and and he was telling me you know i really struggle with a lot of these apps because you know i want to still eat indian food i still want to you know have a peer network with my indian friends who have got high blood pressure but i can't seem to find anything that does a trick for me and that made me think actually then when we think about developing these apps uh, a lot of people are they bringing that insight into this or are they just saying i want to develop a generic offering because it's solving the issue of blood pressure monitoring, rather than thinking about different demographics, thinking about the age, but also in inclusivity. Another example, and I'll use another family member, if I may. My mother-in-law, unfortunately, developed um, uh, a cancer last summer, and we've been going through that journey. But again, she really struggled to find a peer support network from her background, her language issues, her ability to interact with those that would understand where she's coming from now the thing about a lot of these apps that we you know and I was like let me have a look to see what's in the market and and there I went when I was in Dubai on the app store and I just couldn't find anything that was of use because the challenge was you see it was a very blanket approach to to many of these things and and, and again I'm not blaming or saying that the digital health entrepreneurs or innovators are not getting it they obviously have a part to play in terms of you know what they've set out to do But if we have then, you know, as we start evolving and going down this journey, I think we'll start seeing a lot more of these insights and uh, kind of developments being featured into uh, the product that we have. And uh, and I still am in the belief that, you know, we'll start seeing lots of exciting solutions being developed in South Asia or parts of Africa or or beyond, which will really touch upon this issue of, of inclusivity. But also I think we'll have that in the UK US and we're starting to see that now, you know, historically, We've seen a real lack of investment in founders that come from different backgrounds, right? From uh, whether it's South Asian backgrounds or um, you know black community uh, and members, and I think that's a problem. And I think we need to be doing a lot more because you know we need to think about how do we provide access to capital to these people and help them build solutions that matter for their communities. And I think that's what's going to really be game changing over the coming years. And that's what's really exciting me in terms of really developing solutions that matter for certain populations and again we'll see that in mental health because mental health is not a generic offering it has to be tailored to your community your societal beliefs your values the diversity angle we'll see that in some of the chronic diseases management because we know you know south asians have a different perception of diabetes compared to others and we'll see that in many other disease areas so in summary basically what i what i'm super excited about is this that we will start backing founders from uh different backgrounds to different race uh, you know black me- uh, community members um, you know people from south asian backgrounds women we'll start bringing that inclusivity angle into it we'll start seeing some really exciting solutions that are solving problems for basic uh, for for um, certain population demographics and i think i'm super excited by that and, and how that plays out in the next few years
0: and i and i love what you're saying about the personalized approach to this and and how that will play in because i think that will really feature when people are choosing what they want to to have in their own healthcare and if they're buying products off the shelf right
1: absolutely and this is it right and, and 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 you the question you asked me at the start you know what has COVID really changed i mean the other thing that COVID really changed is that people are now willing more willing to go direct con, you know and and have that direct consumer response is becoming a lot more live so we're starting to see many exciting solutions coming on uh, which is good, but I'm still also sceptical about some of them. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit because, I mean, for me, the trust element behind all those is, is very critical. Um, and I think, you know, and I'm not going to name anything, one, any companies, but I've seen, you know, with all this money being poured in, a lot of them are cutting corners because they want to rush to the market. They want to rush to get their solution out, which will have knock-on effects to, to not only the people using them, but also to the ecosystem in general
0: yeah and how will we know how will patients know how will the clinicians that are supporting the patients that are using these tools know we won't right so whose responsibility is it to flag this is it the government policymakers mhra i don't know cqc who who steps in here
1: yeah i mean look yeah you you've mentioned kind of health agencies and regulators but I still think there's a big responsibility on investors and the people actually developing the technology right so you know I uh, over the Christmas holidays I revisited um, uh, the wreath lectures I don't know if you come across uh, wreath lectures um, BBC BBC four wreath lectures but there was one that was done in 2002 by a fabulous lady called Anara O'Neill who is a well-known thought leader around trust and transparency and, and it was really refreshing to, to go and hear about some of the things she was talking about. And one of the things she mentioned, actually, which I thought was hugely uh, relevant, was that, you know, we, are, we talk about transparency and openness, which is all well and good. But it also then encourages people to be less honest, right, because, um, you know, increasing deception and reducing the reason for trust, you know, that, that's what plays into it. And, and I think we, we need to think about that, you know, well-placed trust, which is what she was saying really comes out of active inquiry rather than just acceptance. And I think people need to be curious. They need to be uh, asking those questions. But at the same time, I think the responsibility also lies with the innovators, digital health entrepreneurs, but also more importantly, investors, because investors can really hold companies to account and saying, are you doing the right thing for, for the population?
0: So is there anything that you would like to end on? Any final thoughts about the... The future of the digital health landscape any closing remarks you've
1: got yeah okay let, let's let's see closing remarks let me pick up on, on three key three three things firstly um, I'm super excited I think um, you know going back to my point earlier I, I'll see a lot more innovation investment uh, uh, adoption coming in over the number of years uh, with the caveat that health systems are responsive to it and they help uh innovators and entrepreneurs get into it in the view that it's improving and helping patients but also helping the workforce so, so super excited about that space in particular like i said you know in the mental health space in particular in, in those that will ensure that we're reducing inequalities uh you know starting to collect data that has actually representation of our populations so all that i think will play out re- really exciting the second thing I wanted to say is, you know, building back on the trust part of it. You know, we, we ha- all have a responsibility, collective responsibility, to play our part. Uh, and I think if we look at the success of the vaccine rollout that we've seen, and we look at the success of how you know the NHS has responded to COVID uh, over the last few months, you know, I, I think it w- we're in a really exciting space to help build on that trust, to build those community relationships, to work with community leaders, faith leaders, but also think about. You know, how are we redefining and and redesigning what healthcare means to people? So that big push towards prevention, that big push towards wellness and and giving people the opportunities. And the third thing, which is slightly different to my first two points, is is something I wanted to just highlight on, which I came across a a lot more when I was working at England. because, you know, when I was in that world, I used to always think about, yes, I'm in that policy world. I'm bringing this entrepreneurial thinking I'm bringing kind of this new way of working. Is there a title for someone like me? And actually, I did find that title. And the title I found myself, which is something called a policy entrepreneur. And and I wanted to end on that, which is to say that for those people listening, especially, you know, I know the RSM audience. there's Because I used to be a member of the RSM student committee uh, and and had a great time. And I know there's a lot of medical students and nursing students and others who, who may well be part of it is that think about being a policy entrepreneur because really it brings the elements of shaping and shifting policy by being an entrepreneur and thinking like an entrepreneur and really pushing the needle on on, on really important things. And, And I think it could serve really exciting for many people and be a really great career, but give it a go because, you know, everyone rushes to become a digital health entrepreneur or everyone rushes to become a, you know, innovator, but actually you can also be really impactful and influential in the policy sphere. So become a policy entrepreneur would be my ending line.
0: Brilliant. Well, you had it here first. There is a <laughs> job in Harpreet's office line. <laughs> policy entrepreneur i can't thank you enough I, I and i really hope that when things open up we'll have you down at the royal society of medicine for some more events uh, i know that you've been one of our biggest champions down in the digital health council which we're very, ha- very 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 grateful for so thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute honor to have you on and i'm um, looking forward to catching up
1: thanks marla great to be here and uh, yeah like i said look forward to seeing you in the RSM battery at some point
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's digital health podcast series. I really enjoyed speaking with Heartfree and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. To find out more about the upcoming events and webinars that we have at the Royal Society of Medicine, please head down to the website. Bye for now.